I deeply, deeply enjoyed that dialogue with Amy Goodman, now celebrating 28 years as host of Democracy Now! And uh, just thrilled that she took an hour of her time to uh, sit for another conversation, yet another conversation in our respective careers with each other about the working witness that we are trying to engage. And it's good to be in solidarity with people uh, who are trying to do what you're doing. I had a friend of mine, an old man, told me many, many years ago, Tavis, if you're trying to go somewhere, get with somebody who's going somewhere. Uh, it makes the journey a lot uh, a lot uh, uh, less difficult. Uh, and again, you can't say enough about camaraderie when you're trying to do what Amy and I are both respectfully, uh, uh, respectively and and uh, and together, individually and collectively, trying to trying to elevate some progressive voices in the media. So I celebrate Amy Goodman and thank her once again for that conversation. In this hour, another conversation that I've been looking forward to. Um, it's with Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter, uh, UCLA sociology professor, who's going to take us right inside of his new book. It's called Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. As I said at the top of our program an hour or so ago, uh, there are those who find that oxymoronic, uh, that you can engage in any kind of reparations, much less radical reparations, and at the same time, heal the soul of a nation and not further divide that nation. There's a lot to unpack here, just starting with the title of the book, Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. I want to start by asking you to just read, if you will, for the audience, uh, the annotation uh, on the back cover of the book. Just, just, Just read what's on the back cover. Freedom is both large and small. Large freedoms lost like language, family, autonomy, and land are undoubtedly important. But so, too, are the small freedoms lost, like the ability to smile. As the breeze swirled around me, a new awareness unlocked. I realized that any idea of repair and restoration from slavery must recognize all the freedoms lost, especially the small ones, because as the wisdom of the elders holds, little things add up to big things. Unpack that for me. Tell me why that passage um uh, of all the passages in this text was chosen to be on the back cover. Yeah, first I got to say, in this edition of Mama, I made it. Shout out to <laughs> the King Tavis having your boy on here. Mama, I made oh, it. Oh, my funny. goodness. Yeah. You've been in my household my whole life, uh, and I just appreciate you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank um, you. To your point about the back, uh, part of what started for me with this reparations journey is a 15-year journey as a scholar researcher who kind of stumbled into the topic largely defined. Mm -hmm. And as I started to think about writing a book about it, I had to come to grips with what kind of language was I going to use to express something so globally important. And so it became about imagination and realizing that along the way, one of the first things that enslaved people experienced was an iron bit that was placed in their mouth, Mm -hmm. which meant that they did not have the ability to smile. And for those who don't know, your smile is the anatomical biological anchor for your thymus gland system, which promotes promotes and endorses a healthy immune system. So when we think about reparations, I think oftentimes people want to summarize it as about money or a check only. But I would ask those people, how much is a smile? What is the ongoing APR percentage on loaning your smile to someone? Mm. Can you monetize a smile? And given that it has such biological importance to your own immunity and your own ability to heal yourself, whenever we're talking about reparations, we're talking about the little things like a smile that add up to all of the big things 
things like the prison industrial complex and all of these other matters, the, the wealth gap, the academic achievement gap. There's so many different gaps that we talk about, but it's really about getting to the fundamentals of what is lost along the way. And that led me to write a very different book and also lean into the idea of healing. And last, I'll say there's a book called A Course in Miracles that I discovered in early in this book, it has a passage that I can summarize that says healing is reparations. Mm. Now the odds of those things coming together are not coincidence. And so I just thought, why not just take the lesson and put it in the back of the title? Cause the original title was always radical reparations. Mm -hmm. And then as you know, in the book business it's like, what's that back title That's doing right. Marcus? Right. And I said, what is it doing? How would I define that? And healing is a major component. It's gotten deep, but we ain't five, we ain't even five minutes in yet. <laughs> I can see now. I, I got to strap myself in for this conversation. I have some friends who know uh, uh, Dr. Hunter. They said around UCLA, they, they just call him Dr. Black. That's what they call him, Dr. Black, and I can see why. Uh, it's gonna be rich. It's gonna be rich this hour. Let me just let me do this before I before I go forward. Um, for those who don't uh, have never heard what you laid out a moment ago or don't understand what the purpose of the bit in the mouth was for, just very quickly unpack why they would put a bit in the mouths of these Africans. To take away your voice, you know, take away your ability to communicate, because we also know in uh, modern day research, shout out to the soci sociologist James Jones at Rutgers Newark about the nod, you know, how we nod at each other when we're in social spaces. And the nod is not just your eyes, it's your mouth. It's a big part of it. And so when you rob people of one of your first pieces of autonomy, your mouth, mm -hmm. you know, then you're taking away a fundamental freedom that just allows the other ones to go. So it takes away your ability to communicate with one another your ability to uh, uh, express yourself, your ability to be seen and understood to be identified. You know, we think about people wearing masks, how we don't know who it is mm -hmm. underneath the mask. And so the iron bit is a, a, a kind of mask of sorts that is forced into you. And we're not even thinking about what iron does to the mouth the entire time. And shout out to all of the dentists who will tell you that dental health is tied to heart health. So there's all these connections as to why, you know, because you disempower the person, you take away their ability to be strong to be defiant or resilient because you literally have iron rusting in your mouth pouring into your heart and you can't communicate with those next to you. Yeah, it's going to be rich. It's going to be rich for the hour. Uh, Dr. Black is in the house, uh, better known as Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter. His book is called Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. I, as he was talking, I thought about, speaking of great books, thought about Nathan McCall's book back in the day, Makes mm -hmm. Me Want to Holler. Yes. Uh, and when you hear stories like what Dr. Hunter just shared with us about how they put bits in the mouths of our ancestors for the purposes that he just described so eloquently, it just makes you want to holler. That's right. Just getting started with Marcus Anthony Hunter on Tavis Smile. From the Merc Park with love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. Oh. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter, who is the author of a powerful and provocative new text. It's called Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. If you just tuned in, you've already missed 15 minutes of fire already. So this is one of those conversations I'm going to tell you. Check out the podcast. You know how this works later today. 
uh, this conversation will be posted as a podcast. Um, so if you missed the first 15 minutes alone, it's worth going to hear the podcast. And I'm just getting started um, for the next 45. So it's going to be a great hour uh, with uh, Marcus Anthony Hunter, again, talking about his new book, Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. Let me, let me, let me, I'm, I, 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 I'm warning you, I'm coming at you sideways mm-hmm. here for a second, okay. but I know you can handle it. Yeah. Um, when we talk about, because your approach to this subject matter, as you already laid out quite nicely, is a different approach. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to have you on because the approach is uniquely different than the conversations that we typically have when we talk mm-hmm. about reparations. Mm-hmm. So let me just ask you, give me your broad canvas on which to paint. To your mind, when we talk about reparations, and I mean we as the, mm-hmm. the collective, the demos mm-hmm. in this country, when we talk about reparations, what what's wrong with the frame that we are in? Does that make sense? As a yes. Mm-hmm. What's what's wrong with the reparations frame that we are in where we have the dialogue that we do have to the extent that we have it? Yeah. One of the uh, creative challenges that's available to us is to think about having a conversation and approach towards reparations that is completely holistic because we also know in America we're probably getting one chance at this conversation for real, for real. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to have it. We want to make sure that everything is old is discussed and not everything can be quantified, like I said, with the smile mm-hmm. into just a check. You know, so in the book, I talk about uh, the metaphor of America as a beautiful mansion on a beautiful block, except when you walk inside, there are piles and piles and piles of dirty laundry, trauma and harm. And most people People just after a while, when you're in a place that smells really badly, you start noticing it after a while and they kind of just live in it. Except those piles are the seven forms, political reparations, intellectual reparations, legal reparations, economic reparations, spiritual, spatial and social reparations. So that when we're thinking about this conversation, how are we reclaiming the cosmologies of African people's lost destroyed or distorted because of enslavement. That isn't something you can quantify. Why is ISIS, the first ever known black goddess, now referred to as a terrorist organization? That tells you a lot about the spatial repair Mm. that's necessary. Mm. Why are we not in a place where we're understanding all of the religious practices that are inherent to African people that we've incorporated without knowing exactly. We, we're old that. And for example, I say money is multifaceted. So even we're talking about a check, we know that dollars are only one form of money. There's also time is money. History is money. Memory is money. Healing is money. Repair is money. Power is money. Mm. So how do we get all of those things? And I think that's about us tapping into our imagination. If we can imagine it, we can manifest it. And what we can manifest is building up a world that is more beautiful and inclusive than the one in which we reside right now. Um, because we have the hour, which, I, which is why I do this. I love having time to just drill down, right? Uh, let me back up for a second, have you back up. Um, mm-hmm. For those who may have just heard something for the first time they never heard before. I know there are those, in fact, who did just hear it for the first mm-hmm. time. You delineated seven forms of reparations. Yeah. So let's take it. We got, we got time. Mm-hmm. Just take me through all seven, one at a yeah. time, and just top line for me um, how you would define mm-hmm. the conversation around those seven different forms yeah. of reparations. I'm going to sit back and chill. Uh, take take the mic. Hey, political reparations. When slavery was ended, there was the Freedmen's Bureau. It was uh, torn apart in Reconstruction, but the original goal of the Freedmen's Bureau was to politically represent 
newly freed black people. That never happened. And so we think about political repair, then if that would have happened, then we would probably be in a multi-party system, three parties at least, because you would have a party that is designated around these interests, around fully enfranchising people who were considered property, three-fifths a person. Mm -hmm. You need a political party that's about that. You need a political system that is always advocating for that, independent of what else is going on in the country. And that we have not had. So as a result, we're over-reliant on a two-party system that originally conspired to create slavery and let it go on. One turned a blind eye, one fought against it, and then they barely agreed about it in order to recreate the United States. Political reparations. Intellectual reparations is about intellectual property recognizing black people's creations like jazz, for example, and not just simply in Black Music Month, shout out to the month of June, but all the time. And also we know the word when we say credit also equals money. So also protecting and paying people for their contributions that they've intellectually provided, often free of charge or without being properly accredited. Legal reparations, policies, laws, and all sorts of things like that. I've worked with Congresswoman Barbara Lee by her invitation for the last five years on her leadership, not only around reparations alongside Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, mm -hmm. Representative Cori Bush, Representative Jamal Bowman, and a host of other folks around H.R. 40, but also she introduced the first ever Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation Bill to create a commission so that what we would get in America is a balanced version of what 40 other countries like South Africa have done, which is to do truth often without reparations. How do we do both in the words of young Jeezy at the same damn time? How do we do that? Legal reparations. Economic, that is debt relief. That is about uh, subsidized education or free education. That is also about uh, us thinking about how to cut the check. When we're thinking about money, that's in our economic repair. When we get to social repair, we're thinking about repairing the social contract. Every nation state is premised on a social contract. And what we know is that as black people, as native people in this country, the social contract both did not include us and also intentionally excluded us at our own expense. How do we how do we create balance and repair that social contract? That's about public awareness campaigns. Mm -hmm. That's about, for example, uh, President Joe Biden and open letters that we put out asking him to use his bully pulpit to put the word reparations in the mainstream conversation, mm -hmm. make people talk about it so that we can start being aware of what it really means. Because without that, we're in a constant steady diet of misinformation and confusion that divides us further. And people don't actually know about St. Louis, Philadelphia, Boston, Massachusetts, New York, California. California, uh, Asheville, New Orleans, all these places where reparations is actually being talked about or happening in some way and process at the very least. Then you have your spatial reparations. That's about land repair, which I make a point about understanding that when you forcibly create migration, you actually harm the earth. And so when we're thinking about spatial repair, it's not only about land being adjudicated, given back to those for whom it belongs. Shout out to Bruce's Beach. And we know about the Santa Monica case going on right now, but also thinking about the damage done when all of these millions of people forcibly migrated to one place involuntarily and also remade the land from what it was usually uh, intended for. The land needs repair, as do the people. And then last is this, the uh, spiritual, which I was mentioning earlier, mm -hmm. about representing and re-educating people on the wondrous global dynamic vast amount of spiritual cosmologies that our ancestors understood and utilized in an effort to fulfill their own soul mission and the effort to create their own community. That's all of the pair. That's all of the frames. And those are all of the forms. And together they form what I call radical reparations. Mm -hmm. um, 
As you were talking, um, particularly when you got to the point about Joe Biden uh, and your, uh, you and others imploring him to just put that word into the discourse, that word reparations, put it into um, our um, uh, our conversation in this country. My mind went back to a, a trip um, that I took with Bill Clinton. I mean, Clinton's president. Um, he went to Africa on a multi-country um, tour, and I was on the plane with him uh, for that trip. Uh, and when we got to Joburg uh, in South Africa, uh, we knew we were going to talk at some point during mm-hmm. this during this trip. And at the time, it was years ago in my career, I was still on BT back then. Mm. Um, so we get to Joburg, and I've been talking to the president on the plane, and you know Hillary and back and forth about when we we're going to sit down and do this conversation. So he finally says, okay, let's do it in Joburg. Mm. All right. So he's going to meet Mandela mm-hmm. and all this pomp and circumstances. So we sit down at the hotel in Joburg for this conversation. And the question that I wanted to ask him more than any any other, and because I know how the president is, I didn't, I didn't lead with it. I, I worked my way up to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the question I really wanted to ask him was, are you going to apologize for slavery mm. while you are on African soil? Mm. If ever any president mm. is going to do this, it ought to come from the first black president. Mm-hmm. And you take the joke, that was Tony mm-hmm. Morrison, mm-hmm. as you recall, mm-hmm. who made that joke about Bill Clinton being the first black president mm-hmm. before Obama shows up. Mm-hmm. That was the Tony Morrison joke. So I said, if, if anybody's going to do it, you ought to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, we're, we're traveling to different countries mm-hmm. on this continent. Why not apologize officially for slavery on African soil. Mm-hmm. And then Bill Clinton, my friend, but he, he did the Bill, Bill Clinton mm-hmm. did the Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. You remember, you remember, you remember the, 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 the Ken, the Ken Starr hearings. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. answer, it depends on what the definition of is, <laughs> yeah. is. Only Bill Clinton could split hairs on the word is. It depends on the definition of what is, is. Okay, Mr. President. Um, so he did the Bill Clinton and didn't give me the answer mm-hmm. that I, that I wanted to hope for. And again, mm-hmm. I wasn't naive in asking it, but I wanted to ask the question anyway mm-hmm. and just the very asking of that question made all kinds of mm-hmm. national news that i asked him that question mm-hmm. in africa mm-hmm. on bet it was a big story mm-hmm. so here you come now all these years later mm-hmm. with biden trying to push him now, here's mm-hmm. the guy whose campaign is only saved by black people mm-hmm. black women in particular mm-hmm. as i said the other day in a speech uh, i'm tired of folks saying we saved this campaign we didn't just save this campaign when we saved this campaign we saved the democracy there we go as we've done time and time again so tell the whole story we didn't yeah. just save the campaign Absolutely. we saved this the, 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 the very democracy um but here you come now with the guy who put Juneteenth on the mm-hmm. books when we didn't even ask for it. Mm-hmm. Most of us were surprised that Juneteenth became a holiday. Mm-hmm. But nobody really present for that. Mm-hmm. I ain't mad at him. Mm-hmm. So he's jumped out there to show his love for black people, his black bona fides, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But he has not, to your point, as yet put that word into play, mm-hmm. if I can put it that yeah. way. Yeah. I'm not naive in asking this. Why do you think he has not? Yeah, first, shout out to you on that uh, important uh moment in history for black people for doing that and for African peoples everywhere. And uh, just to know uh, the South Africa line is very uh, connected to radical reparations, the book, because the third parable happens in South Mm. Africa. Uh, And Johannesburg is always significant to me because those who may not know, Johannesburg sits on a natural gold reef. So also, as you're saying that the king and you knows that if you say this on this gold reef, it isn't just about it being Africa's on this space. What how would that reverberate through the planetary system Mm. you know how would how would we all feel that vibration Mm -hmm. and bill clinton missed his opportunity Mm -hmm. you know i think in 
in this case, what we're trying to do is prevent President Biden from missing that opportunity. And I will say on the Juneteenth point, uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee will tell you that Juneteenth and H.R. 40 were companion pieces. Mm -hmm. And so part of I, I bring that up to say, isn't it like, you know, the way America tries to, as they say now in the culture, play in black people's face to take one piece of what you're putting forward and lead the other one on the side mm -hmm. and then not to make mention of it at all. And I think part of and this is what the open letters that uh, she endorsed alongside uh, Representative uh, Barbara Lee and Cori Bush and Jamal Bowman did is to say executive action and executive order. Because as you know, the president will often say, well, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And I will remind people we are rush brushing up against 160 years since an executive order actually changed this country. It was called the Emancipation Proclamation. So Joe Biden can always do that. And we know that that was powerful. OK, mm -hmm. so we're always going to press you to at least do what they did before. And even in your Bill Clinton story, isn't it ironic or not that it winds up being George Bush who apologizes for slavery? The Republicans wind up doing it. And I bring that up because I think right now, whoever is advising the president is making a miscalculation and not understanding that Donald J. Trump will say anything. I do not put it past him to say reparations. He's already said, I am the best president for black people since Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. So that means he's wild and outrageous already. He's calling himself things heretofore never heard before. And Joe Biden was elected on 72 plus million votes that was based on watching Miss, Miss Breonna Taylor not receive justice. Mr. George Floyd be murdered, okay? And then you tell her daughter, I'm gonna get this, this bill passed for you a grieving child, a grieving black child. So I just want to hold the line as a black person, mm. as a black man and say, it is unacceptable to tell our black children while they are grieving that you are going to do something and you don't pull every lever in that White House to make it happen. So if the legislature is not working, say the name, say the word reparations. You could at least shout out California. Gavin Newsom did it. So that's within party. Mm -hmm. You can shout out Hocho over there in New York and say, I just heard that two of the largest states in the union have moved forward in reparations. Mm -hmm. I look forward to hearing what comes of that. That's not you executive ordering it, but it is you challenging our then news media to create a cycle around it. And I think that's the big break that we need for people to know so many places are doing this. And this is what Bill Clinton didn't understand then is that Nelson Mandela was both about South Africa, but reflect of every place that the Zulu and Bantu people have been, which is all over Africa. So when you say things to those folks, it reverberates across the bloodline. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for, I think, President Biden to seize the opportunity and, and not play foolish and think that the alternative will not say something like I support reparations, if only to distract black people in the voting booth. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here noodling and marinating in real time um, what would happen if Trump were to beat Joe Biden to doing that. And to your point, he ain't above that. Exactly. He is not above. Now, it'd be pandering in the worst way. Right. But he ain't above pandering. Right. In that way. Shout out to the gold sneakers. There you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I take your point about the way that Trump panders and it'd be it'd be devastating for the president mm -hmm. to be to be get to get beaten on that. Mm -hmm. um, when we come forward, you said something. You, you went right past it so quickly, but I heard it. Uh, and I want to I want to tease this out. Uh, it's one thing to talk about radical reparations and healing the soul of a nation into the future because mm -hmm. we ain't got reparations yet, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about this. This is this. This is this is aspirational. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the aspirational will become the actual. That's right. So that's what we're, ta that's what we're talking about. But you used a phrase a moment ago uh, about the phrase was hold the line. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a different conversation that I want to interrogate mm-hmm. when we come forward. What does it mean not just to be aspirational about reparations into the future, but in this moment in late modernity for black people, mm-hmm. what does it mean politically, socially, economically, and culturally to hold the line? That's We're right. going there when we come forward, holding the line right now in real time with Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter, author of the book, Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. He's on Tabby Smiley, and I'm glad about it. Unapologetically progressive. progressive. Unapologetically blind. Black, black, black. You're tapped into Tabby Smiley. Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tabby Smiley. Tabby Smiley and Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter, who is the author of a powerful, powerful uh, new polemic. It's called Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. Uh, and this thing is getting deeper by the minute. <laughs> so I'm just trying to hold on for dear life and keep up keep up with him. So you, you made this point a moment ago that just kind of jumped out at me. Uh, and you and I were talking during the break here. Mm-hmm. Let me reprise this yeah. quickly mm-hmm. as best I can. Uh, Marks and I were talking in the break about the fact that black folk are the only folk who have to really fight in a triangle. And he called it the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but we're, we are we're the only the person in this country who are always fighting at one tip of that triangle to hold the line mm-hmm. on the stuff that we thought we'd already mm-hmm. fought and won. Mm-hmm. In the other corner, uh, you're fighting the fights in real time. Mm-hmm. And in the other corner of that triangle, you're fighting for your future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the aspirational notion of things like reparations, mm-hmm. fighting for the future of black babies mm-hmm. yet unborn. That's right. So we're always fighting past fights. Mm-hmm. We're fighting real-time fights, mm-hmm. and we're fighting for our future. Mm-hmm. And I called it the triangle, and you called it again mm-hmm. the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> um, un- un- unpack for me, if you will, then, given what we just mm-hmm. discussed about that triangle, uh, what it means, what it looks like in, in, in real time for black people to hold the line. That was your phrase. Mm-hmm. So what what are we doing? How, how are we doing when it comes to holding the line right now in America? Yeah, holding the line is super important because the present is now. That's what we have. And so if you even think about what the word now means when you spell it backwards is one. So when people tell you the power of now, uh, shout out to Eckhart Tolle, he's right because now backwards is one. And if you can hold the line now, you will have one because the present is all we have. And Mm -hmm. we have to really think about, you know, why we're holding so many lines and why people are so tired is because black people are punch drunk. If you're holding the line in all of these different ways, the triangle is a pyramid scheme of progress, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're told, okay, if you just do this, it's good. If it passes the Supreme Court, Brown v. Board, you're good. Then you can move on to this. If we get the FHA to give you loans and you can move on and we're never allowed to move on and that feeling of not moving on I think is intentional because it makes so many people completely cynical like why am I doing this anyway Mm -hmm. I think that explains why so many black voters may not feel the need to vote because you're punch drunk you've not seen where you can vote on something and move forward to vote on the next thing you find every voting cycle you're voting on the thing you thought you voted about and I think even for all of us who are punch drunk it's important for us to remember that we're not doing that for the system We don't vote for the system. We vote for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're voting for our vision of what we're trying to do. And when you hold the line, I would just use like a sci-fi metaphor. You know, oftentimes when people are leaving one reality, we create a portal. Let's say like there's a portal to the next space. There's always this wall where you pass through. Mm -hmm. Holding the line is also about holding what we don't want passing through into the world we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. We don't want 
you know, human hierarchy coming through the portal with us. We need to hold the line about that. Mm. We don't want a lack of inclusion following us into the portal. We got to hold the line around you're preaching, that. preaching, man. You're you know? preaching. You're preaching. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you, no, you, no. You, you, you're on a roll, man. <laughs> um, uh, wh- wh- how, what is your, I want to phrase this the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your read in this moment, again, following you, of black skepticism versus black cynicism. Mm-hmm. You well know they're not the same right. thing. And my my one of my great fears and frets is that we have moved from being skeptical mm-hmm. to being cynical. Mm-hmm. And I understand how that's happened right. on a variety of fronts, politically, mm-hmm. economically, socially, and culturally. I get it. Mm-hmm. But but what's your critique of black cynicism versus black skepticism? Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. And I will borrow from the great, wonderful sociologist named Octavia Butler, for oh, whom yes. this book is uh, uh, in memory of uh, her parable. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Whenever I'm in a reparation space, I like to bring that up because you got to touch it to change it. If you're cynical, you're probably not touching it. Mm. You don't know if it's worth touching. So mm. it doesn't change and you don't change. When we think about reparations, I offer a, a friendly revision of that parable to say all that you repair, you heal. All that you heal heals you. The only lasting truth is love. God is love. You don't have to be cynical about love. Mm. It is never wrong to participate from a positive space in any kind of process. So if you have something positive to contribute, don't allow the system to make you unbelieve that you have something positive to contribute. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that, you know, there's an African proverb that says togetherness is where hope resides. When folks become cynical, they're not in the togetherness space. And then we start losing hope because there's not enough of us to do the work. You know, in the organizing space that I've been in for the last five years around this stuff, part of what you see is that people get tired. Because some people stop coming, some people fall off, and then you stop having hope that this is really going to happen. And I would just encourage people to remember that skepticism often still allows you to participate. Cynicism usually often means that you don't, and you can't change what you don't touch. What is, in your mind, the antidote to the increasing levels of black hopelessness? More Stevie Wonder. Mm. I, I mean, for me, uh, I'm Man. planning this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I didn't see that coming, but, but I'll take that answer all day long. I'll take that all day long. What is the answer to black hopelessness? Play some more Stevie Wonder. Absolutely. Miles, you got that? Play some more Stevie Wonder. I Absolute, love it. No, absolutely. I um I've been organizing alongside the Black Music Action Coalition, the National Black Justice Coalition, with uh, mentorship from the National Action Network. Shout out to Ebony Riley and uh, uh, Reverend Al uh, around an equity march on June 15th in D.C. Mm -hmm. Everyone's invited uh, because there's so many of us who agree with this. So many of us who understand this. And it immediately took me to the song on fulfilling this, where he says, uh, we are amazed, but not amused by all the things you said you do. Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. He sang that already. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to be despaired because Stevie wonderful got us covered already. And then let's not forget Maurice white. Keep your head to the sky. So mm. we got the music. Shout out to Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. I listen to Optimistic every single day. Yeah. So for me, that always sound, beats back hopelessness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hopelessness is already 
on combat if you got the black music playing. Yeah. And so for me, that's what we need more black music, which is why at our march, uh, Live Nation is putting together a production that will have live music, you know, to help people understand that the togetherness that we're creating will generate hope across the spectrum yeah. so that you have something to go back home with and tell people it's June. We got to make it through November. This is how we can be active to give people that energy, you know, and I think Stevie Wonder is the antidote. Um, man, I love Stevie, by the way. Man. We all do. Um, <laughs> I'm almost speechless. Not, not, not quite. I'm never truly speechless. Um, but in, in the minute or two that I have right now, um, say a word because you, you went there. So again, I'm just following you. Say a word about the role that our artists, black artists, mm-hmm. have played. How about I put this? as the gatekeepers of of our truth, Mm -hmm. the gatekeepers of our truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Music, um, ironically, began when the Catholic Church needed to record chants. You know, so we think mm-hmm. about how the spreading of the gospel becomes then gospel music. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to the Queen Aretha Franklin. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh-huh. what we think about a lot is music has been one of the few places where we've been able to talk to each other. This is why Parliament Funkadelic is so important because George Clinton understands what time it is. He's he's going into outer space, the mothership. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, make my funk a P funk because I know black people are listening, yeah. and it's one of the few things that white people will pay you to do to talk the black people yeah. so when you use that and you understand it for the opportunity that it is you get a what's going on yeah. you get a wake up everybody you get a self-destruction i think one of the things that our culture needs right now and i i want to challenge drake Nicki minaj beyonce jay-z rihanna all of them where is our generation's self-destruction where is it mm. where is it 21 savage where is it we need that Because it's an expression of collectivity about we see each other and we know music is one of the few places they allow us to tell you we're alive, we're real, we're not bots. We are black people living as well, striving and having difficulties. And we know you're out there as well. We need that. So music is essential. Music is is deeply important. And it's always been a template, which is why our music artists who are black have always been mistreated at the same time. Mm -hmm. This is why they don't want to identify their music in the genre that it is. I remember when Whitney Houston put out The Preacher's Wife because it became a number one album on the regular charts. They didn't nominate it for a Grammy gospel. So all of this language about Beyonce experiencing the the unfairness i would take you back further you know aretha frank was only really ever allowed to win a black music grammy she never was up for album of the year so this is a pattern about blocking the people who we're listening to from getting the most universal message out as possible which is why bob marley never received a grammy while he was alive freddie mercury never received a grammy while he was alive because the people who ran the grammys know the power of music and we start awarding you for speaking truth Mm -hmm. in your music to other people who are dispossessed you're dangerous now there's a, there's a mouthful there. <laughs> I was just reading an article, which I'll talk about when we come forward, about Beyonce and the way that she is not being received. For all the talk about her being number one mm-hmm. on the country charts, the way she's not being received in the country genre. Right. You can be number one on the country charts if enough Negroes right. buy your country album. Right. But that's not what's happening inside the country right. music genre. She ain't being celebrated and you know, and embrace there. Right. Whole another issue. Um, I was warned about this Negro and <laughs> <laughs> and he's delivering. <laughs> Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter. This book is called Radical Reparations. He's uh, he's on Tavis Smiley right now. This is getting good. Yeah, man. Tavis Smiley. Smiley continues when we come forward. 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 Sounds different, huh? 
This is Tavis Smiley. I hate to step off Stevie, um, but my time is getting away from me. But um, I love Marcus Anthony Hunter's answer to my question. <laughs> what is the black antidote? What is the antidote, rather, to, to black hopelessness? That was my question. What is the antidote to black hopelessness? And he shot back without any equivocation or hesitation whatsoever, more Stevie. <laughs> Turn it up, Miles. Just more Stevie. More Stevie. <laughs> come forward our remaining moments for dr marcus anthony hunter he said it was the antidote <laughs> so i'm just giving you the antidote more stevie on tavis smile When we come forward, and your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas, more of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. All right, uh, our guest in this hour has been, and I've enjoyed this immensely. I was just saying to him, he's got to come back. He's going to be on the list of regulars hey. now that we've done this the first time. His name is Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter. His book is called Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. I've got three and a half minutes left. I will yield it all to you, the gentleman from UCLA, hey. the sociology professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to close where we began, and that is with this notion that some people find a bit oxymoronic, that you can talk about. You can engage, you can have the aspiration of radical reparations and at the same time heal Mm -hmm. the soul of this nation. How do you do those two things simultaneously? Yeah, it's important that we always remember that the nation, any nation, is a reflection of the people. Even if the nation gets so uh, narcissistic and and proud of itself that it it makes you think that it isn't a reflection. Uh, It's about us understanding that the work we do with each other, how we see ourselves. If we see ourselves as unworthy, shout out to Jada Pinkett. We see ourselves as unworthy, then we're not even thinking that we're deserving of anything. And I think it's important for people to also understand that when we're talking about reparations, we're also not talking about something deserved. We're talking about something earned. Mm. So, for example, when you go to work and you receive 
receive your check. It says earnings. Now, it may not be as much as you may. Shout out to the IRS, but it says earnings. It doesn't say deservings. Mm. So it's important that we understand that reparations is earned. And all of the things, you know, oftentimes people will say, well, you all have a Serena Williams and you have like a Jay-Z. That's only possible in America. You have Venus Williams. You have Dominique Dawes. And it's like, no, that's only possible through God. Okay. That is about black people's relationship with their internal divine and their ability to do things in spite of mm. a government that authorized sanctions and constitutionalized their, de their dehumanization, their defamation and, and things of the like. That part of what we're saying is while we're still striving, we still are holding the governments accountable, local, state, regional and federal for what they authorize, sanction and permitted. And how we do in spite of that is no reflection of what the nation is doing, but a reflection of ourselves. And to all of all of us out there who have been feeling like you're tired and you don't know if it's worth it. I want people to know that we all survive the unsurvivable. COVID-19 was unsurvivable for black people. Enslavement, unsurvivable for black people. So many of us are feeling without purpose. I don't know what my life is about, what I'm meant to do, but you just got chose. We all got chose to survive something unsurvivable. So that means that we have a mandate to love each other more and to work and build something more beautiful, more loving than that which we inherited. So do not feel confused. Do not feel unselected because indeed you have been selected. And remember, if you need any resource, not only the Equity March and the congressional members I mentioned, but the book is called Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. I want to give a thanks to Team Tavis for having me out here. Mike drop. <laughs> Mike drop. Uh, he gets to go. I got another hour of this. Uh, but that was a mic drop moment. His name is Marcus Anthony Hunter. Dr. Marcus Anthony. If you're Hunter. nasty. If you're na there you go. Uh, they shouldn't give PhDs and Negroes <laughs> like this. I know you are there. You they are, usually don't. You are, you, <laughs> you, you are their worst nightmare. <laughs> and, we, and we gave this Negro a PhD. Uh, no, we didn't give it. You earned, earned it. it. There you Period. go. There you go. Not, yeah, he earned it. Uh, again, his name is Dr. Marcus Anthony Hunter. Uh, he is a professor of sociology at UCLA. He is author of the new book, Radical Reparations, Healing the Soul of a Nation. I could not have enjoyed this hour more. Uh, and I look forward to having you back on this program. I look forward to being back. Thank you. My great honor. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.